welcome to the Blue Rose Film Podcast, a show dedicated to celebrating the ongoing mystery and dream that is cinema and tracing film history through the decades via the films that have meant the most to me. My name is Jonty Cornford and I'm a writer, editor, composer, music producer and a lover of films. On this extra episode of the show, friend of the show Jack Sherlock and I continue our breakdown of the 2021 adaptation of Dune. We'll be getting back to our David Lynch narrative next week, but for now, please enjoy part two of this in-depth look into the world of Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I'd like you to take me with you. You've been trying to give me court martial. Can I trust you with something? I've been having dreams about a girl falling in battle. Felt like a vision. Dreams make good stories, but everything important happens when we're awake. For the future of House Atreides, you have to be ready. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. They're not human, they're brutal. What if I'm not dead? You'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. Come on! My son. Another thing I wanted to talk about is the blade training scene um, where we meet Josh Brolin's character um, where, yeah, Gurney Halleck um, and Gurney comes in to replace Jason Momoa's character, Duncan Idaho, who was the, the basically Paul's training partner. 
Um, but because Duncan has gone to Arrakis, um, yeah, Gurney comes in. Um, and he, I don't have the, this quoted, but his his line towards the end of that scene about the uh, the Harkonnens, mm. like his delivery is just it's amazing. Just the, the brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, they're not human. They're, and he's like, brutal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he does it so well. It's it's really, really good. Um, but we were just talking before, interestingly, like they make a big deal about that line of um, the slow blade penetrates the shield, right? Um, but then when we see Duncan's final scene where he dies yeah. later on in the film, he is like straight out just stab, stab. Like, yeah. <laughs> Which we I don't know if we've mentioned this already, but the the way that the shields look, yeah. So we should. I, I was just yeah. about to say, thank God for <laughs> for time yeah. and for brains, because these shields look exactly how shields could look. And I yeah. understand they couldn't look like this in 1984, but they could have looked a hell of a lot closer. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And and it's not like it's a particularly difficult or mind-blowingly no. complex Especially visual effect. It shimmers for a bit and then it like disappears. Yeah, until I'm it sure comes it looks context. like it's a pretty, it would have been a fairly simple effect to achieve. I would think so compared um, to a lot of the other stuff that they Compared did. to all the effort they went into hand draw the shields in the 84 <laughs> one, which just looks stupid. Oh, um, man, but yeah, and, and we're, we, we have it explained to us again, like in, in the Lynch one that the slow blade penetrates the shield Um, and there's also a thing um, and and I was reminded of this listening to the Gomjabar podcast that laser technology like laser firearms have kind of just become obsolete because if you use them yeah you can probably cause a nuclear reaction that's right so it's it's really some people are like um, rightly so um, most people think this when you first start watching this futuristic sci-fi movie why the hell are they using swords yeah and it's like it's a fair Fair thing. And sometimes you see it in sci-fi where they use like ancient weaponry and it's like, why? Um, But it has a reason in this film and it's because like they don't use bullets anymore. They use lasers. And when a laser comes in contact with a shield, it causes basically a nuclear reaction. Um, And so people basically had to learn how to use like hand-to-hand combat. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to have... Like otherwise every single war would just be dropping bombs and people would just die straight away. Yeah. And I think that actually did happen for a little bit before people realized this is unsustainable mm-hmm. and the emperor made um, like atomics, which is what they call them, but they're effectively nuclear weapons. Yeah. They, they ban them completely. And so you can't use atomics. Um, and yeah, when an atomic comes in contact or even like a, just a gun, like a laser gun comes in contact with a shield, it will just explode. Um, and It'll explode big enough that both people will die, the shooter yeah. as well as the. Yeah. So yeah, um, so that's why the, the swords are such a big thing. Yeah, and and part of that, the function of that training sequence at the beginning is for the audience to to <laughs> understand how those shields work. Yeah, you can't just yes. go in yes. gun, like swinging and throwing. So it like, kind of undermines that when at the end Gurney yeah, like which is, is what just I going to full to. stab stab. Yeah. yeah, we have that scene in the hallway where he's... Which is epic. But it, just oh, it's sick. Like, but, yeah. and, and because we're trained to see the shields glow in a certain way yeah. and then they change to red with the slow... Like there is, there, there is that scene where he literally lunges towards someone and just goes tip of the sword straight into their chest and it goes, and it goes through the shield and, goes, and it's yeah. like... That doesn't make sense compared to what we've just seen. Yeah. And I I wonder if that was 
purely just a mistake or, or, Maybe, a, or an oversight and like, which they've they've clearly realized in the edit in in the in putting the visual effects together after yeah. the fact because they've made the shields go red to signify yeah, yeah. that he's killed this person um, but it, it doesn't quite yeah. unless there is some sort of detail that they're not clear on in, in this version about the speed at which blades can penetrate shields. I don't know. Shields. To me, but it seems know. pretty straightforward that it shouldn't go through. That's what I... And when I saw and, it the And it's first a shame time, because... Sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, no, no, it was just... It jumped out to me the first time. Yeah. No, like, it jumped I, out to me this time, not yeah. necessarily in the previous two times, but we were saying before, um, I was telling you about C, which is a really good show. Um, yeah, which Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa is like the star of that. And his, his fighting technique in that film is very much like he will move quickly, put the sword against someone and then slice like away. And that's how he will like fight people. And it's like that type of fighting would work perfectly with the shields. Yeah. Um, so it's a shame we didn't see more choreography like that because it looks amazing as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's something. Um, the Gom Jabbar scene is my favorite scene in the film. I think I s- that was released on YouTube. It was. A few weeks. And I remember I... I had stopped. I had intentionally not seen any trailers. Yeah, because I was like, I'm excited to see. But mainly because you know, I'd read Dune and I'd seen the Lynch one, and yep. I, I was, I was a fan of Dune, but I was also a huge, still am, Villeneuve fan. So I was like, I'm just not going to watch the trailer. Yep. I'm going to go and see it cold. And then that scene dropped on YouTube, and I caved <laughs> and I just watched it. Yeah, it, it is such an awesome scene. Such a good scene. Um, this is actually. When we when Paul gets woken up by Jessica, it's actually when we get introduced to Paul in the books. Like that's where it starts. Yep. Um, we get some introductory scenes, which I think are amazing. Um, and so, to be clear, I'm not against anything that departs from the book. Mm. I'm just against things that might change um, the intention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, because yeah, sure. that scene that they added in, I think is brilliant. That 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 breakfast scene, I love that scene, and I already gone to Jessica being amazing in that scene. Um, there's we also in this film just before that we see Atreides hand signaling signaling which is a thing in the books as well they have like this secret hand signaling language which we see a few times which is cool that they added that in just little details which I appreciate um I I did almost laugh when in the Gomjabar scene where um Paul asks Moheim what's in the box and all I'm hearing <laughs> in my mind is what's in the box <laughs> I hadn't thought of that but um yeah. But it's such a good line. Paul's like, what's in the box? And she's just like, pain. Yeah. And yeah. it's so good. Um, and she says, an animal caught in a box will gnaw off its leg to escape. Mm. What will you do? Yeah. Um, that theme gets explored possibly too much in the books. So I've got no issue that they withdrew a little bit from it. But it is this idea that the Benny Jesuit have of like um, a, a human who acts purely on impulse is nothing more than an animal. Mm. Um Whereas a human who can withstand pain and withstand discomfort in order to like reach a, a goal, that is a human. Um, they explore it in, yeah, as I said, maybe a little bit too much depth in the book. I don't know. It might've just been a concept that Frank was really fascinated in. I was it's also when, when we hear the voice for the first time yep, in the yep. movie, which is done so well. Really I well. Thought, I yeah. wish that they did it like that every time, but I understand why they didn't because it might've just been too like jarring. But like that idea of like you hear the voice after it's already happened, yeah. Which is like we kind of get that experience of what it was like for Paul, where by the time he's heard the voice, he's already on his knees in front of her, which is really cool. I really yeah. love that. Really effective. Um, yeah. Jessica recites the litany of fear while she's outside, which I appreciate, even yeah. through her crying, which I don't appreciate. But the litany of fear, 
it's a the most iconic line of of Dune is yep. I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Even if there are many better lines in Dune, but still, um, it's good to have that in there. Um, it's also the first time when when that scene that I spoke about earlier, when Paul kind of like switches during the Gomja Bar, it's the first time we hear that amazing female vocalist mm. who. I'm not going to even try. <laughs> it might be playing right <laughs> now. Yeah. You know that one. Yeah. Um, she she is fantastic. What a find. Yeah. What a find. She's like such a brilliant part of that that um, soundtrack. And whenever that vocalist comes in, you're just like, oh, shit's going down. Yeah, it's getting real. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so cool. So cool. There's also a bunch of throat singing in it. Yes. The Yeah, yeah. So that's all the- um, The uh, military. Not, um, the, what are they called? <sighs> They're the um, why do I always like soldiers for hire? Yeah, I've already yeah, said yeah. their name so many times. The <laughs> I'm terrible with these names, but the and they have the blood on the forehead and the all that stuff. Sardaka. <laughs> there you go. Sardaka. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I I just really appreciate the music that was done in this film. It's yeah. Brilliant. Also, the um, there's there's a big coffee table book about like the pre-production. And, yes. And all yeah. That yeah. Art. Yeah. For this film, and there's a s- entirely separate score that Hans Zimmer wrote that accompanies the book. Yeah, I've separate heard. To what yeah, I've the heard. Film, I think you might have awesome. told me about that. I think that. he composed, yeah. like, I don't remember, I could look this up afterwards and put it in the show notes or something, but like the amount of music that he composed for this film Man's just is talented. like ridiculous compared to what you would normally expect yeah, yeah. for a film score. Um, and then the last thing I want to say about this Gomja Bar scene is towards the end, um, after the Gomjabar trial is finished, Moheim says to Paul, do you often dream things that happen just as you dream them? And Paul says, not exactly. And that's really important because obviously in this film, we see scenes in visions that don't happen. So Jameis the friend, follow Jameis the friend. This is a theme that keeps happening. And when we meet Jameis, all he wants to do is kill Paul. Um, but in the visions, James is helping him out and like taking him through how to become a Fremen and stuff like that. And he's like his mentor. Um, yet when it turns out, it's it's not that case at all. And so they don't really explain this. And I'm hoping they explain this better in the second movie because I, I understand this as someone who's read the book and like listened to a lot of content surrounding June and everything. But the general audience won't get this is that Paul is seeing possible futures. He's not seeing the exact future. So when he says not exactly in in response to do you see dreams, do your dreams happen just as you dream them, I think my interpretation is he's saying sometimes they do, sometimes they happen the opposite, sometimes they don't happen at all. Um, but they're all visions of possible futures. Um, and that is plays into this idea that once Paul goes to a certain point, his future gets locked in and he stops seeing possibilities. He sees certainties, mm. um, which, yeah, I, I've, that line is really important. And most people would be like, oh, there's a lot of emphasis on that line, but not really sure why that is important. Because it's it's the sort of line that you'd expect him just to be like, yes. But he doesn't yeah, say yeah, yes. Yeah. He says not exactly. And, um, yeah, just wanted to point out that that's my theory of why he says not exactly. Yeah, I think what, one of the things that, works so well about this movie is that even though there are things like that which are really important details that reveal complex lore and theories and and 
things moving forwards. Yeah. General audiences that don't pick up on those things, they can still experience it as a cool science fiction movie. Absolutely. And it still tracks. And, and, it still and they can sense. still like they can still go, Oh, that's important. Yes. Even if they don't necessarily yeah. understand it. So there are some things like some movies like Tenant, for example, um, they they drop things that are super subtle that you don't notice until you rewatch the film. And for me, that film, like we're not doing a review on Tenet, but for me, that film was just like, um, you have to watch it twice, otherwise you won't understand it. Yeah. And it was just like a kind of a flex, I feel. Even um, on a second and third viewing, it still doesn't quite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you kind of got to trust that it all fits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas this film, I feel like it points out that things are important, but it doesn't explain to you why. And I much yeah. prefer that type of like storytelling than this type of like, we, like you might get to a point at the end of the film and be like, oh, that's why that line was so important. In a film like Tenet, you have to watch it again and be like, oh, I never even noticed that because you weren't supposed to. You're supposed to notice it on the second time. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like, I, I kind of prefer this sort of story. It, it kind of allows you to experience it at whatever level you want. Yeah, which I feel like Nolan was just being like, look how clever I am, basically. Yeah, he, with that film. There, there's a certain... He forgot to actually tell a story. He was so caught up in this concept that he'd created. I agree, I agree. And I think, like, I, I trust... Again, this isn't a tenant review, but I, tr I trust that Nolan is a good enough technician that it does all work. Yeah. But when you watch the movie, the experience of watching that movie is yeah. so disorienting. Yes, Whereas yes. Dune, there is that complexity yeah. that is there if you want to go that And you can still deep. tell the significance of moments without necessarily fully understanding That's them. right. But e even for the general viewer who yes. doesn't understand that, it still works on, yes, as a, yeah, on, on the surface, which tenant doesn't like yeah. you kind of have to go dig 100 so i think that's a really positive thing that this movie is able to work just as a cool science fiction movie which has the layers if you want to go digging and Absolutely. people like us want to go digging into that stuff and continuing with that theme of science fiction i just wanted to make a quick note on the quiz at hadarak because mm. um a few things that i noticed for the first time in this film and one of them was when Jessica and Moheim are walking out to the Benny Gesserit ship, when Moheim's about to leave, um, I noticed this time, Moheim says to Jessica, like, did you really think that you could, like, were you so pride, or she says, like, are you so arrogant to think that you could create the Kwisatz Haderach or something like that? And Jessica basically says, well, she intimates that she, like, believes that Paul is, but the way she says it almost felt like, it did feel very prideful. Like, yeah, I did do that. Mm. Like, and I just never noticed that before. And it's interesting g given that leads straight into that scene where Paul is like feeling disconnected from her, which is, has the fog as like a metaphor for that. Um, they're not seeing each other clearly anymore. Like it's a bit on the nose, but I still appreciated it. Um, but what she says when Paul asks her, like, what is the Kwisatz Haderach? She says, it's a mind powerful enough to bridge space and time, past and future, who can help us into a better future. We think he's very close now. Some believe he's here. Um, and yeah, then that's where Paul says, I'm all part of a plan, mm. um, which is kind of a heartbreaking scene. Um, yeah. Another thing. Sorry, I'm just listing three things right now. Uh, the arrival on Arrakis. Um, I would have liked them to see them bend space. I know that I criticized the first film for like literally spending so much time on that scene, but they completely omit it in this one. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen them just like the visual effects of that. That always looks cool. Um, 
There's a little Easter egg as they're they're going down the as, as they arrive in Arrakis where Gurney's reading a little book. That's actually the Orange Catholic Bible, which is referenced in the um, in the book itself in the June novel, but very briefly. Oh, um, mm-hmm. It's basically a, a religion which seems to be a combination of a whole bunch of different religions. Um, and that book is called the Orange Catholic Bible. It's a sacred text. And when Gurney says, my lungs taste the air of time blown past falling sand, that is a quote from the Bible that he's just recalled himself. Gotcha. Um, Because that struck me as a strangely poetic thing for Gurney to say. No, but that's the thing. Gurney is incredibly poetic. Mm. That's the thing that, like, that's the interesting complexity of his character is he is this, like, Swordmaster, he is this completely rough guy, but he plays the ballast set and has a beautiful singing voice, mm. um, and he loves poetry. Um, so it, yeah. they, we might see more of that going forward. But I, I was really interested by this line, and so I did just a quick Google search, and I found this thread on Reddit, which I wanted to share because I thought they explained it really well. A few people chipped in, um, but. This this person responded, it's a quote from the Orange Catholic Bible which came to Gurney's mind in that moment of arrival on June. He's one of the really religious characters um, in this story. It's a bit of OCB, Orange Catholic Bible poetry, but the poem itself reads like an allusion by Frank Herbert to the spice itself. This air of time and falling sands due to the spice giving access to prescience and other memory. And then someone else chipped in and said, time plus falling sand reminds me of an hourglass. I think you're right, but I wonder if Gurney had the sense of time running out. And then someone else chipped in and said, they did all know the danger that they were walking into a trap. And it, Sorry, they did all know that they were walking into a trap and in an enormous danger. It does echo of loss. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool little thread. That's on. a really good analysis yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, I yeah, I know. Um, some of the things you find on Reddit, man. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's oh, like yeah. a really could be... Could be seen, like, once again, it's like, is this the English class thing where it's like we're reading too much into it? Yeah. But it could be seen as, like, that hourglass thing of... And then because the whole time is such a big concept, it's like, yeah. Um, like, someone even said just the fact that spice is in the sand um, and spice is prescient, that as it was coming through, he smelt the spice. But that doesn't make sense because at this point, no one knows the link between spice and prescience. Yeah, um, right. yeah. But, Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think like, and, and this, I, I, I find this so fascinating, like that, that conflict between did the author intend yeah, something yeah. or are we just reading into it? Yeah. My interpretation of that is like, it doesn't actually matter. I understand that take. Um, yeah. And I, as long as it doesn't, it isn't in direct conflict with what you know the intention of the author is. Yeah. Um, and science fiction is a space where that can happen to really interesting ends. Yes, where definitely. There's because science fiction is so rich with thematic material and, and, and speculative ideas, there is a backbone usually that is presented within the text of this is the core thematic Theme. material yeah, yep, yep. within which there is so much room for people to think up new ideas and, and have new concepts of what people might be thinking in the narrative Absolutely. which i think is really awesome and yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong i love a i love a weepy drama but like <laughs> give me some science fiction or some yeah i love stuff like, that makes me think yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. i think that's and we're in the middle of this um this this week's a, a week off from this but we're in the middle of a david lynch yeah narrative and that's 
some a lot of people criticise Lynch for falling too far in that yeah. direction. Where we're well, just like, speaking about Nolan, who that's right. Yeah. I think we share the same opinion that he did do that with Tenant a little bit. I think so, and and and. But the the thing that people often criticise Lynch for is that, oh well, even Lynch doesn't know what he means, <laughs> and that is genuinely true in some cases. Like you look at the 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 um how the villain of Twin Peaks actually became a thing. I won't bore you here. I'll tell you afterwards. But like that was a what he calls a happy accident, right? And then he just ran with it, and it, it became a thing. And so that is a I think a fair enough criticism sometimes, not just of Lynch, but of of some fantasy, science fiction, horror, at whatever genre it's in, literature or, or, or filmmaking, where it's a little bit too vague and it's leaning yeah. too far into just whatever you reckon, like mm. whatever you think, that's right. I think yes, it can be a little I bit too wishy-washy. I, like, yes, I don't like st- – and I think I spoke about this in – uh, the Lighthouse. This is a film that I had an issue yeah. with. That is, I felt like That's a good comparison. In actually, that yeah. film at the end, it was a little bit too much left up to interpretation. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't mind it a little bit like that, but I still feel like you need to present a, a main idea mm-hmm. and say, "But it might not be this." With that one, they didn't present any idea. They just went, "What was it?" You know. Yeah. Well, I well think they did present ideas, but yeah. Yeah. Nothing concrete. Yeah. Yeah, and and it relies on you knowing a lot about. Theology, uh, uh, mythology, yeah. mythology, and and the history, like maritime history and yes, things yeah, like yeah. that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, like I got a few more things. Yeah, so let, let's keep going. Just let's keep going. So, um, shout out Mapes draws a Chris knife, and then she sheaths the Chris knife again. Now, if the June movie had completely forgotten that whenever a Fremen draws a Chris knife, they must draw blood with it before putting the Chris knife away, then I would forgive the scene. However, literally later on in the movie, um, Stilgar draws his Chris knife. He doesn't end up using it. And then he slices his hand before yeah. putting it back away. And all the other Fremen do the same thing. So I'm like, why didn't Shout Out Mapes do that? So I, I don't know why that is. Just important to point out. Yeah. Like I've reference a lot of little details that I love. That's one that I don't love. Yeah. It's about um, consistency though. Right? Yes, exactly. It's like we talked about in the, the previous, in the Lynch one with the, with the, <laughs> the walking. Sand walking. The sand walking. <laughs> they, they, I love that they do it in this and it looks exactly how I pictured it as yeah. well, which is brilliant. But yeah, they're like, yeah, you have to walk like this. Otherwise the worms will attack you. Proceed to just, walk completely yeah. normally. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's literally a meme. Uh, the hunter seeker <laughs> scene is amazing. Um, the desert mouse comes up a lot. Um, and the word for the desert mouse is actually Muad'Dib, which is where that comes from. Um, uh, Isaac, Oscar Isaac has that amazing line, they tried to take the life of my son, and the way he says it is so perfect. I don't give a damn about your honour. You want absolution? Go catch some spies. Like, that's brilliant, um, what he says to Sufu Howard, um, who we haven't mentioned at all, but does a fine mm. job. Yeah. Um... um we haven't really mentioned the worms either. No. Which we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. to that. Okay. So there's the cone of silence, which um, I I quite like the scene with um, the with Baron and Sufir and sorry, not Sufir, uh, so many names to remember. Uh, Pyder and Moheim. Um, and 
it's a really important scene plot-wise because it explains that basically the Emperor has given the Harkonnens his Sardaukar army in order to slaughter the Atreides. Um, and Moheim is basically in on the fact that this is going to happen, but Jessica isn't, which is interesting that she's Bene Gesserit, but she's not in on what the Bene Gesserit are planning. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a scene where Duncan returns home, which we spoke about before, where um, Stilgar spits, um, and we find out that the Harkonnens have grossly underestimated the Fremen's numbers and fighting ability, um, which is a really important thing because the Harkonnens think that they can just easily control these people when they don't realize their their capability. Um, all throughout this stuff as well, we're seeing little drops of the prophecy. So with the Leot, sorry, with the um, the Stilgar scene, he says, "I recognize you," just before leaving. And part of the prophecy was like, um, you will recognize his face even if you haven't seen it before or something. And then the, in the scene with Liet Kynes, when we first meet them, he gets the, the suit, the suit. On, the, yeah, yeah. on perfectly. Yeah. And she's like, no one showed you this. And she says, he shall know your ways yeah. as if he were born to them. These are all parts of the prophecy that the Bene Gesserit have invented. Um, but then this is where I say it kind of walks the line between, is this real? Because... Paul doesn't know about all of the prophecy and he did actually just put on the still suit perfectly. And it's like, hang on a minute. Something is happening there then. So it is interesting, this idea of like, is the prophecy real? Because we've been told that it was basically invented by the Bene Gesserit, yet this kid is actually doing some of the things that, yeah. 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 Just if I can jump in there. Like, yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to, we were just talking about Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan uses this thematic idea of the noble lie a lot. Mm. So the Dark Knight is the perfect example. Yeah. Where the hero we need but don't yeah, deserve. He yeah. takes on the the crimes of yeah. Harvey Dent to preserve his image, to exactly. preserve yeah, the yeah. soul of Gotham. The, the noble lie is the one that Batman takes on to preserve. Yes. The, uh, the way that society functions. Yes, yeah, without yeah, yeah. Collapsing. And so I I almost, and, and the, he does that a bunch of like Memento, Noble Lie. Um, Interstellar, there's Noble Lies in there. It's in, yeah, true, yeah. Um, and so, but where, where this idea becomes interesting is if the lie itself actually starts to take on a life giving quality where in, and in this situation where it, we know- yeah, and it almost goes back to what we were talking about the, with the Jesus thing. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. actually matter if the tr- what the truth is anymore at yeah. a certain point. The lie takes on a weight. Mm. So when 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 we're talking about Paul and the prophecy, uh, the, all evidence might point to that there's prophecies all around the galaxy with all yeah, the different yeah. messiahs. But what's to say that this particular prophecy isn't actually starting to yes. take on weight? Yes. Which and the suit thing is one. Piece of evidence yeah, there's a number of that. things, yeah. but that's the I think that's the cleverest one. But yeah. that, it is from the book. But yeah, um, there's a real so the spice harvester scene um, seems like it's just kind of world building, but there's three really really important things that happen in this scene. The first one is um, when Leto realizes that the the harvester can't be saved. Yep. Um, he he says like, "Damn the spice," and like he goes and rescues his his allies and this is such like i can't like underestimate how important this scene is because if he doesn't do this then kinds doesn't see 
that he's actually a different ruler from any of the other rulers that have come before him. And then she doesn't ally herself with them and they all die, basically. If Kynes doesn't ally herself with Paul and Duncan and um, and Jessica, they all die, end of the story. Like they need Kynes to basically get them through with, yeah. with like, yeah. Um, and that scene shows Kynes this is a man of nobility. And if there's one thing that Fremen respect, it's a man of nobility, well, a person of nobility. Not in, <laughs> in the Lynch version of that scene, David Lynch has a cameo. He's the guy oh. driving the harvester. Oh, really? And as much as I was so happy that this, as soon like five minutes in, I was like, okay, this is in a good way. So far from the Lynch version. Sure. Part of me was hoping that when they, driving. when they cut to the inside <laughs> of that harvester, it was just like seven-year-old David Lynch. <laughs> Oh man. But um, the second important thing that happens in this scene is Paul is exposed to the spice for the first time. Yes. Um, and Yui does explain later that Paul is sensitive to the spice. Um, and he does have basically the psychoactive effects of the spice are stronger on Paul than other people. Um, but when he explains his, his dream to Jessica, he says, it's confusing. I thought I saw my death, only it wasn't. I know a knife is important somehow. Someone will hand me a blade, but I don't know who or when or where. Some things are crystal, though. I can feel it. I know you're pregnant. And so this is like the first time where we're like, okay, damn, Paul has superpowers. Like th- there's something legitimately sci-fi going on here. It's not just like, you know, um, Paul's able to tell that she that Jessica has a child before Jessica's even certain yeah. that she has a child. Um, and so, and the, the whole thing with the knife, like Paul saw his death. Um, he saw the knife, the bloodied knife, which up until like the end of the movie, we don't know whose hand that is. We find out it is Paul's, but he sees Charney kill him. He sees, um, James kill him. He sees a few different people kill him and he's convinced that he's going to die in that moment. To all those, I guess, possible futures. Exactly. Um, and he knows someone hands him the knife, which ends up ends up being Charney. Um, and yeah, he knows that that Jessica's pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. And the third important thing about that scene is we see a worm for the first time. Yes, um, we don't fully see the worm, but I love the effect that they do with the vibration on the on sand. The sand yeah. It's such a clever way of doing it. Yeah, um, I don't know if it sort of uses that imagery in the book, but if it did, it didn't resonate because it's just imagery but the way that they portray it visually is absolutely stunning it looks Mm. amazing because it's not just that look out the worm's gonna get you it's that when the worm shows up the ground that you're standing on is gonna just turn to jelly and you're gonna just disappear yeah like i think it's so awesome and the the sound design on it as well it's perfect that was when that cinema just started rumbling (laughs) (laughs) you're on your seats yeah um yeah. yeah And I, I think I, I actually kind of love that they don't show the worm that much. Yes. Because I think- It makes the reveal later on a lot yes. more impactful. It's that that Jaws effect where- Yeah, yeah, 100%. Jaws is scarier yeah. because you barely ever see Jaws. It kind of reminds me when you do see it, like just from above, mm. of like the Star Wars um, monster in the sand in- Oh, the um, in yeah, a, yeah, in a new the hope, pit. yeah, in the pit. I, I don't know Star Wars that well, but it's just kind of funny. Um, uh, so I wanted to point out this really weird thing that it seems like both when Paul is having the Gomjabar test done, 
Um, as soon as he s- the pain starts, Jessica immediately starts crying. As soon as the pain stops, she settles herself. Also, as soon as we see Oscar Isaac die, his character, not Oscar Isaac, thankfully, <laughs> um, Jessica immediately breaks down. And it's like both times she knows that it's happening. And I really hope that's not what they're getting at because – they did the same thing in the David Lynch film where they're like the Benny Gesserit are psychic. They're not psychic. Like, so I really hope that that's not a thing that she's like, she sensed her husband died because I don't like that. That doesn't line up with my understanding. It could, at least. It could be something that he remembered from the Lynch version and carried over. I hope it's not because look, from my understanding, that isn't within the Benny Gesserit's capabilities. Like that's like a Kwisatz Haderach level thing to be able to sense something happening across time and space because yeah um but yeah i just wanted to point that out i don't know if that was just the way that they portrayed it and it was just editing or yeah i don't know Hmm. um paul's vision in the tent um really great acting from timothy chalamet he's completely like having like a panic attack over it and he keeps repeating holy war spreading across the universe like an unquenchable fire. And then at the end he's, he yells like a war in my name, yeah. which is interesting because he starts saying a war in my father's name. And then by the end he's saying a war in my, my name. name. Um, and it's like this idea of legacy. And yeah. um, and then like Jessica tries to comfort him and he says, get off me. You Benny Jesuit made me a freak. And I love that line because it's a hundred percent true. Um, and Jessica starts crying again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is so, that's that's part of what's so radical about the book is that he, like, uh, to some he is the Messiah, but, like, on a literal level, he is a manufactured yes, freak. He, yeah. yeah, and he hates it. You yeah. Know? And he's, um, yeah, he's aware of it, and he, yeah, yeah. he resents he's Jessica for it. For yeah, it. yeah. yeah. Um, also in the scene in the, the ecological testing facility, Paul seems to just know about Liet's past. He seems like Rita mind and we don't really know how he does that. Like doesn't explain it at all. So don't know. We might, we might find out more like that. Uh, Duncan dies as a badass, which I appreciate. Um, okay. Liet's death. This is something as well, which is a problem. So first of all, she flees separately because apparently that Thopter with the massive cockpit only had two seats. So she couldn't go with them. It's a Titanic situation. Yes, with the door. it is. Like she wouldn't have a seat, but dude, they're, they're fleeing from Sardaukar. You're safer off without a seatbelt than you are being chased by Sardaukar. Yeah. But one thing that a Sardaukar would never be able to do to a Fremen is sneak up behind them on sand. Sardaukar don't live on sand. Fremen live on sand. Like they're the most stealthy like Home warriors. Advantage. Yeah. And she gets snuck up on and stabbed. I do really appreciate the the squirt of water that comes out when she's stabbed because it penetrates the steel suit and the water yeah, comes yeah. out. That's cool. Yeah. But it's just like a dumb way for her to die, honestly. Um, but yeah. Um, the black ink that that the Baron goes in. Mm. Um, I remember we were chatting about this the yeah. with the previous film and I couldn't remember whether he goes in it before he gets injured. He doesn't. So it's purely for healing in this one, whether in the David Lynch film that sort of baths he have seem to just be for his pleasure. Yeah, and um, he, get, and he get, has these, like, boils. Yeah. Like, don't know. Yeah, it's gross. Evil people have bad skin, yeah. apparently. And they're all redheads as well. Yes. Um, and the worm scene, um, 
the the worm scene where they're running from the worm. I think mm-hmm. it's just important to point out like how visually stunning that worm looks. Um, yeah. They do such a good job of that, and it very much does capture this idea of the worm being like a god, which um, if you didn't pick up on when the Fremen are referring to Shai Halud, that is the worms, basically. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes unclear whether they're saying that there is a god worm out there and these worms are sacred because they're also worms, but there is a god worm, or whether they're referring to every worm like has in, in the singular. spirit of yeah. Shai. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and I've never really worked that out from reading, but um, it... Both are cool ideas to yes, think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that there's this godfather worm somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, just, I mean, there isn't too much to say other than it looks brilliant. And the scene where the worm rises above Paul is just so dramatic. And yeah, it does feel very like, yeah, sacred. Like mm. the way that the worm is just there. It's also in in the trailer, There's that shot was in yeah. one of the trailers. It was, yeah. It is lit like it's daylight in the trailer. Right. Um, and in the in the film, when I saw it for the first time, I was suddenly like going, dusk. hang on, yeah. I've seen this, we're about to see the worm, but it's like right, dusk. Right. And it's, yeah, yeah. So it's just really, it's, it's one of the, I guess one of those trailer things that they do to kind of yeah. wrong foot the audience. Where or maybe they, they they've made the decision last minute to... Well, they did have an extra year to work on the movie. It's very true. With COVID. And yes, I, true. I forgot how yeah. early that trailer came out. And, yeah. and I wonder if a lot to do with the worms and how good they look is because they had... An so extra long. however many yeah. months to keep working on the video because yeah. with anything visual effects, it, it's purely down to how many hours can X number of people work on it. Because the longer you work, I, on it, I the agree. It looks. But to be fair, the first thing you think of with visual effects when it comes to June is the worms. Like, oh, big time. if you're going to yeah. get oh, yeah. one thing right you in June, you got to get the worms right. right, and they did get that right, and they got a lot of other stuff right as well. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I I guess to finish up with just speaking about that final scene, James mm. versus Paul. Yeah. Great choreography and that extends to all the fighting really. I think they do a really good job with the knife fights to make yeah. it seem not too flamboyant. I think sometimes with sword fighting and knife fighting like in films. Yeah, it's just yeah, like they're doing yeah. too many spin like people say that about the lightsaber fighting yeah, and yeah. stuff. It's like yeah. sometimes it's like they're spinning so much it's like Bro, if you just stood still you could stab him when he spins around. Yeah. <laughs> like but um I think they did a pretty good job with that. Um, and yeah, I think I, one other thing is that uh, this is jumping back to the um, uh, just while we're talking about things that we like as well the the attack on Arakeen, um, yeah. There's an there's a huge explosion that happens yeah, yeah, inside yeah. one of the shields. Yes, yeah, and yeah. it fills the shield up, and then the shield explodes, explodes and yeah. it explodes again, and it yeah. looks. Amazing. No, no. That, and that's another scene where the scale really... Yes. Uh, yeah. I, that scene where, like, um, Gurney runs outside and he looks up and he just sees the spaceship. Yeah. Like, that's very cool. Yes. That visually, they did a really good job. I love that idea of, like, you seeing stuff from outer space, but it's so big. From ground It level. looks like yeah. it's in Earth. Like, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think the decision to have that at night as well... Yes. Just the explosions look amazing. Yeah, yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's that. I've I've run through all my little tidbits that I wanted to go through there. Um, that that's probably the bit that people can listen to on the one point five speed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall I'll put time codes. <laughs> <laughs> overall, 
I really do like this movie um, and it's always exciting to see something that you love and appreciate come to life. Um, yeah. And I, I've grown to appreciate June even more because of this film. Um, like I, I had read the first two books before I watched the film, I think. Um, but the film is what made me search for like the podcast and more content because I was just like, I got a taste of it of what June could look like. And I'm just like, wow, I want to know more about this. Um, and I know for a fact that, um, this film has brought the June franchise to so many more people. And that just makes me really happy because it's, uh, an unsung piece of literature. I think like as, as big of it, of a following it has from a sort of core group of people. I think that so many people are missing out on June. Um, and as someone who isn't the biggest star Wars fan for me, I'm like, this is a lot of star Wars was based off this film, which people don't even realize, sorry, not this film, (laughs) but off the novel. Um, people don't even realize that like this to me is the OG space opera. Like it's, it's, um, and yeah, like if you like the film, read the book because there's so much more in there. Um, and yet big recommendation to the Gomja bar podcast. Um, yeah, we've mentioned before. Yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic and they're very funny. Um, and they yeah have a similar perverted sense of humor as yeah. I do. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, but I, right. I think that's one of the only things that you can really ever ask for with an adaptation like this is that it brings in more people yeah. Yeah. to discover the source novel. Yes. And, Thankfully, the way that Villeneuve and the rest of the team have done this film is that I don't think that people coming in to read the source material are going to get too many big shocks. I mm. think all they're going to get is like, oh, that's interesting. That's slightly different here yeah. and there. Or, oh, this wasn't in the film. Interesting. I don't think they're going to get anything that is going to be like, you know, why isn't the why, why isn't the Baron flying around all the time? You know, why yeah. isn't he laughing maniacally yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time? Like. If people had seen that film and then went and read the book, they would have been like, this is completely different. They may have still liked it, but it wouldn't have been what they were expecting. Whereas I feel like the Villeneuve movie does a good impression and the, the, it's really going to be the second film that, that tells us exactly how good it is. Yes. Um, Yes. And I, I feel pretty confident. I I think I'll maybe closing thoughts. I, I feel pretty confident that, I feel like from that first film, and I'm not sort of the gatekeeper of Dune by any means, but from my, un- my not even understanding, that's the wrong word, my experience of the novels made me feel like this film, um, or that, <laughs> this film made me feel like Villeneuve had a similar experience of the novels to me. That's the best way I can put it. And that's that's enjoyable because I'm getting to see the things that I love the most about Dune come onto the big screen. Um, and I just really hope that they lean into all the nitty gritty and the complex ideas and the political drama, which is like, that's the thing about Frank's books is even though there's a, there's a lot of action, the, the action often happens off, off yeah, page, right. you know, yeah. like he'll skip the big fight scene and talk about the implications of it and why it's happening and the complexities of the arguments of both sides. To me, the books are very much more of a political drama than they are an action thriller or a, a sci it's like a yeah a political sci-fi which is it's such right. an interesting juxtaposition of yeah. of not juxtaposition but like a mashing together of two things that yeah. often aren't put together I, I think i might have said the last time we spoke about dune that it's kind of like game of thrones but in space yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. um 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good example, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, because Game of Thrones, once again, it doesn't linger too much on the fight scenes. Like they happen, but it's um, about the implication. Yeah, and until the, political the final season. Um, well, yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> no one ever should. I wish I never saw it. I wish I just <laughs> invented the ending in my own mind. It was much more satisfying than what I got. Um, yeah. Hey, when when those, well, let's not touch wood but like when those last two books finally come out then i can probably forget about the last couple yeah of seasons. well yeah we'll see we'll anyway we'll see um well so if you had to give the film a rating out of 10 especially actually okay let's do this i think we did this last time yeah an adaption rating out of 10 uh-huh. and a film standalone film out of 10 like like you said i think it's difficult to rate it as an adaptation yet mm. so far i'd probably give it an eight out okay. of ten, seven or an eight out of ten um, in fact, I, I, not because I think there are things wrong with it necessarily and, and I don't come to it as with as big of an attachment to the source as mm. I think you do. I have read the book, um, I think twice actually. Um, I, as a film by itself, I would almost give it a 9 out of 10. Mm. Um, but once again, that's difficult because it's part one. So that rating could very well change mm. when we get part two. I think it's an eight or a nine out of ten is what I would... That's interesting because yeah. I, I would actually go the opposite way. I would say it's a better adaption than the film. Okay, interesting. Because of the fact that it's a part one. Um, mm. Because I, because if we're adapting the story of Dune, then you have to concede that it needs to be a part one and a part two. And then you also have to concede that there isn't really a very obvious point to end the story. There isn't a big act that yeah. comfortably finishes that you could have that There's climax. There isn't a Death Star blowing up. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you don't have that sort of Hollywood three-part kind of yeah. structure in this film. And so in that sense, I really appreciate what they've done. As I said, I, I have a few qualms. Um, like the Jessica thing is the biggest one. Yep. Um, could have ended it a slightly better one, but that doesn't really bother me too much. Um, and then just, I guess, smaller things like I feel like the trader narrative would have yeah things sold that, were, that thing. Things that were cut for time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I, I admit, like, you know, there's always stuff that you have to cut when it comes to adaptions. Do, do you think it would benefit from a f- three-hour director's cut? I would love that. I would love that, but I know that would not be for most people. Mm. You know, three hours is too long of a film for anyone apart from hardcore fans of that story. Like, yeah, I would agree. You yeah. can't have a general... Uh, I mean, the only thing that really did it well was Endgame, I, I suppose. But Well, and the Lord of the Rings movies are... Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, the, and weirdly, there's a trend happening the last year or two of really long movies. And I think Endgame but was the thing that... Normally, they don't really go past 240. That seems to be like the cutoff point where yeah. like most long movies don't go past that. Um, I, but I mean, I mean, I think of the Batman was three hours long. Um, yeah, but I, I feel like John only, Wick four coming. There are only normally films that are either building on something that people are already invested in, like That's Endgame true. and John Wick, or they're adaptions where they know that there's a hardcore fan base, like Lord of already. the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Actually, um, yeah. Which June wasn't three hours, but I, I would love to see a three-hour cut of that film. Mm. Um, but I'm happy with what what I was given to be clear. Um, but just more of what I like, I'll, I'll watch. And I don't mind what, you know, I, I watched the Snyder cut, which is four hours, you know? Um, and I know people say it didn't need to be four hours, but to me, it's like, well, if you're going to do a three and a half, why not do a four? Like, 
Yeah. As long as it works structurally. And and I think that film does. I, I, I know that a lot of people don't like the Snyder card, but there's a lot more involved in that film. That's a whole. I, I actually want to do an episode on it because it's real. I, I don't. I don't love it as a movie, but I think it's fascinating. There might be to, a better yeah. person to, to speak to about it, but I, I I'd be if I if I'm not on it, I will very much listen to it because yeah, I, I. It's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the story behind that is as as interesting as the film. Absolutely. It's more interesting. Than Absolutely, the film. Um, yeah. it's heartbreaking, really. Um, but I think uh, on the length thing, I think the argument that people won't watch a three-hour movie has kind of been disintegrated by streaming. Like people watch three hours of Maybe TV, so. all and the I time. guess you've got um, what was the one that won some Oscars? Uh, the Netflix one, the. The Irishman. The, the Scorsese one. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's um, three and a half hours And that long. wasn't building on anything. I mean, I guess you had the fact that it was a Scorsese film. Yeah, he's kind of a legacy director. Yeah. People, he's one of very few, I think, Quentin Tarantino and yeah. possibly- Where people not, just not watch a, it regardless just because it's Tom them. Cruise is probably not a director, but an actor. He, there, yeah. there are very few of them left where people will watch their projects just purely based on the I name. would say Spielberg, but he's done a few not great movies as well. So I think we're spoiled. With Spielberg, yeah, he, he's been so he's, good for so long. I think he's done too many, though. I think anyway, that's, the, fa- the Fablemans <laughs> is good. Uh, we can talk about Spielberg right, okay. another time. Um, um, but yeah, for for me, I would say I would rate it as a film a little bit lower because okay. as a film, I view it as a standalone project. Yeah, and there's too much that is unanswered and doesn't sure, make sense. Sure. And like, I have to think about it as if I hadn't read the book, um, how would I view it? And I would feel the same way that a lot of people felt, which is very unsatisfied with that ending. I would feel like that's so flat and the line at the end is really corny and it's just like, it, the line at the end feels like it's saying, this was all just to introduce the We're next just, film. Just table setting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the biggest criticism of the part ones that you were speaking about. Um, and I think that as a standalone film, it feeds into that. But looking at the context of an adaption, I think it does its job really, really well. And it's got me very excited for what's to come. Um, and I think that it shows the best understanding of the source material that I've seen from a, um, from a June production, apart from possibly the sci-fi channels <laughs> first one, but you, you, you can have a watch of that and see what yeah, you think. Yeah, it's but it's on, on par with that. Definitely. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's not down to understanding, it's down to the decision-making of adapting Execution. it. Execution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say it's 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 definitely up there with like, Villeneuve understands what's going on in the story yeah. from everything that I can see. And that in itself makes me really excited for what's to come. I think there's also, there was a fair bit of misunderstanding because this was marketed as... Dude. I agree. It, and then I when only the, found out about it because I was like listening to or like looking stuff up and finding out like, oh, okay, it's part one. But yeah, like I remember going into that film and then it came up like June. And then very one. briefly part and, one. And it was just yeah. like, I can imagine so many people in the theater being like, wait, what? Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. Like, do they mean part one as in it's- This it's, is chapter it's, one. So, of yeah, 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 yeah. Or do they mean it literally is like a part one, part two type, type yeah. thing, which- Maybe that was a strategic decision because they knew some people wouldn't be as interested in watching it if it Very was. Very possibly. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, communication maybe could have been better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up by, I think we can both summarize that by both saying we quite like this movie. Very much so. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I often end these episodes with a look at 
if you if we have a recommendation for another movie that came out in the same year, twenty twenty one, and I have a handful. Um, I want to talk about the Green Knight very briefly. Have you I seen? Still this haven't movie? seen it. I mean, it's one of these films that has been on my watch list forever, and I so, almost watched it the other night, and then yeah, dude, didn't it, end it's up doing so it. it's so excellent. Um, another guest of the show, Wilson Drayton, and I went and saw the Green Knight in theaters. Yeah, last in, year. when they re when well, they not re released. Yeah, well, because you know it, I mean? it hadn't yeah. played in theaters here in Australia yet. Yeah, I had seen it on Amazon Prime and it came out and loved it. Seeing it in a theater was a totally different experience. Yeah. Um, and I just think David Lowry, the writer director who also made a film called a ghost story, um, Don't know is fantastic. And right. we were talking about, you know, the, the ability of science fiction and fantasy and horror to, to go deep with ideas and yes, thematic yeah, yeah, material. Yeah. The green Knight is so rich that I've seen it three times now and there's still so many things that I, I think awesome. probably align me a little bit closer to how you feel about Dune. Not not that I don't feel this way about Dune, I'm just not as fully invested in the lore. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I've watched the, and the Green Knight is just a is a retelling of a of an old Arthurian poem. It just brings this thing that when I read it in high school I got nothing out of and brings mm. it to life. Yeah. So wonderfully and I just think it's fantastic. Um Awesome. I can see you scrolling. Have you, have so you, I've seen a few. Uh, there's yeah. a, there's nothing that jumps out to me as a particular one. Things that I I enjoyed the Suicide Squad, um, the that, Jam- James Gunn. Yeah, that obviously. was that yeah. was good fun. Yeah, it's good. Um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which yep. you just mentioned. Yep. Um, I was looking forward to that for a long time um, because of everything surrounding that film. House of Gucci, I really liked. And it's funny because a lot of people didn't like that film from I what I heard. Actually, I haven't actually seen it. I, I really enjoyed that film and I thought um, Lady Gaga was absolutely fantastic. Um, there were a couple others. Um, I think probably my, if I were to make a list, my favourite of the year would be a film called To Ten. Have you heard of this one? No. Um, it's a French film. Um the setup for which is lady has sex with a car right um, and becomes <laughs> pregnant with car baby <laughs> um but weirdly enough turns into this really emotional movie about like finding your family <laughs> but it's 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 told through the language of body horror and right. and like extreme cinema and it is so twisted and so fucked up <laughs> But also, like, I cried. <laughs> right. So okay. it, it's 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 a hard one to recommend to, to everyone, but if you can stomach some gnarly body horror stuff, it's actually really, really wonderful. Okay, I've um, got two more. Yeah. Um, people may not like this. They're both MCU films. Um, Black Widow, I actually thought was a really good self-contained film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not going to win Best Picture or anything. Well, obviously it didn't, but it's it's not going to go down as anyone's favorite Marvel movie, probably. But I just thought it was a good self-contained story that um, didn't feel like it was because obviously this story happens after the character is dead, yeah, and it still felt significant, um, yeah. despite the fact that she was dead. And I thought they did that really well because I I was concerned that it would just feel like not important at all. Um, and the other one was Shang Chi. Which yeah. um, I really liked, and uh, it was a very culturally significant film as well, which um, is important. Uh, I don't think it. Sh- this is where I, uh, 
sometimes get frustrated because I don't think that the cultural significance of a film should affect how it's viewed critically as a film. Sure. Um, yeah. So, for example, a lot of people consider the first Black Panther film to be like just gonna a really, up. really good film. It's a fine film. Culturally, it is a brilliant film. But, well, okay, I just contradicted myself. Culturally, it's so important and yes. it does so many culturally amazing things in that film. But the actual film is just good. I think Black that first Black Panther movie, in conjunction with Get Out, mm. those two coming out the year after and each other. And the star in Get Out is also in Black Panther. I think Black Panther and Get Out What's his coming name out. Daniel Kaluuya. Yes. Um, yeah. Those two movies coming out and being that impactful. Yes. Hugely important. Absolutely. Do I think Black Panther is a great movie? I think it's fine. I think uh, it's, yeah. yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's good. I yeah. sometimes felt like it was a bit too on the nose, especially Killmonger's last line. Yeah. Like, you didn't need to say that we understood. Like, you didn't need to reference slavery as your final line. Like, I... I We'd got it yeah, at that point. But yeah, but I, I, it feels like contra- like controversial to say that because I'm not... I'm just trying to say I enjoyed the subtlety that it was exploring it in and I didn't feel like it needed to be... But I suppose some people do need to be slapped in the face with this kind yeah, of stuff for, for me. It was for the people in the back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they probably didn't make it to the end of the film. They yeah, were probably like, hey, yeah. why isn't Ross in this more? You know? <laughs> um, the second film is also... I would say the second film is more culturally amazing. The way that it combines not just African culture, but um, like... Aztec, Aztec, and, and yeah. Indian, and yeah, it's just. I, I I think the way that Wakanda Forever explores slavery, slavery in particular, oh, is way more nuanced. So than the first one. yeah, and yeah. way more nuanced. People give it credit for yeah, as well, big time, big um, time. Because there's so many things in that film that are so not nuanced and are terrible. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not yeah. so many things. Not so many things. There are a few things. It's two hours and forty minutes long. There's an hour and which is setting up other films and yeah. Th- there's Disney a two-hour movie in there that's great, and there's yeah. forty minutes of TV set up yeah, that yeah. doesn't need to be anyway. Ironheart. Yeah. Dude, stupid. Anyway, um, some good movies that year. Um, I yeah. would say that this One film was my favourite. Yeah. Um, but I did really enjoy House of Gucci, which was a big surprise. That was one of those films where it's just like, I feel like going to the theatres, seeing this looks interesting. Um, I'd probably say that's my second favourite out of the films that I just looked at. Okay, um, cool. But all of those ones that I mentioned that I really enjoyed just for different reasons. Yeah. And I'll throw in right at the end, there's a movie called Saint Maud that came out in 2021, which is... I think we'll be st- still we'll be watching it in ten years and still okay. It. Um, I I think not enough people even knew it existed. Hence I don't, why I don't it, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a little, I guess, horror movie, kind of more of a thriller. Yeah. Um, that is, I just think it's amazing, and not enough people saw it or even heard about it. So, I'll keep mentioning mentioning it on podcasts as long so as people I eventually yeah, watch it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, John D, I think I've taken up enough of your time. No, yeah, we we should wrap it up. We've been going for far too Listeners, long. Listeners, we've taken up enough of your time as well. But hey, you can pause it and stop it. Oh, we- just like Zack Snyder's Justice League, you can break it up into Exactly. Four into parts sections. Or five parts? I think that was like six or was seven. Was it six, six uh, chapters? Okay, my I bad. Know, I, know, it's, I watched it in one sitting two years ago, so I, it's washed over me. I think I've watched it in one sitting. Watch it a couple times. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And we'll have you back. If not before then, we'll have you to talk about part two when it definitely. comes out in November. Don't worry, listeners. You'll have a nice break from Jack for a while. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'll definitely be back to absolutely dissect the shit out of that second movie. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited. Doing part two, baby. Doing part two. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening. We'll be back again on our regular release day of Wednesday with a shorter deep dive episode of the show, bridging the gap between The Elephant Man and Blue Velvet with a quick overview of Lynch's experience making his adaptation of Dune. If you want to hear more of Jack, you can find his music on Spotify or you can check out his two podcasts, The Artist Notepad and The Self-Care Project, wherever you get your podcasts. As always, please make sure to give this podcast a friendly review wherever you're catching it and to share it with a friend. Five-star written reviews on Apple Podcasts mean a lot, so if you're able to do that and contribute to this podcast reaching more people, then that really would be amazing. If you want to get in touch and chat about Dune or any other film that we've talked about on this show, you can find us either on socials or you can email us at bluerose.filmreview at gmail.com. If you don't already follow the show on Instagram, that's a great place to connect with me and a whole bunch of other people that love films. My first short story collection, called Where Lies the Strangling Fruit, is available to buy on paperback or Kindle on Amazon. I'll have the link for that down below. Thanks again to Jack for joining me on these two episodes, to producer Ritterman for our theme music, and thanks to Acast for hosting this podcast. That's all for now, and I'll see you on Wednesday for the next episode of the Blue Rose Film Podcast. <laughs>